Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. I'm really excited. One of the reasons is because uh, when John asked me to share the message this morning, uh, about a month ago, I started working through some things, and there was a there was a story that jumped into my mind. And I thought, wow, that would be such a great story. That just like the, the punch, get it right in there and, and stuff like that. And so I started working on it. And then I kind of drifted away from that thought. And for the next few weeks, I worked on all of these. It's so funny for a tech guy. I actually like having stuff on, on note cards when I'm, when I'm sharing. But I um, started working on these. And last night... As I was standing at the sink doing some, doing some dishes, the Lord's like, hey, what about that story? And I was like, yeah, what story? He's like, no, no, remember that story that we were going to talk about. And I was like, oh, yeah, that story. And I hadn't been avoiding it, but I certainly, um, w- and I'm not hesitant to share, but I certainly was a little bit apprehensive. I was like, ah, oh, but that's like, that's like jumping into the deep end of the pool. And he's like, yes, and that's what I want. So we're going to jump in right into the deep end. And I, and I want to share with you personally a little bit about my story. Before we get there, I wanted to share one of the puzzle pieces that came together is the painting. And, and Lisa painted this. Uh, she's been working on it for a while. And it's, it's called... Coming, we're jumping in already. Here we go. Coming out of isolation. Let me get that for you so you can hear me. Coming out of isolation. This is a really important theme in our lives. This is a strong message in my own life. And, and she painted it with the, um, the glory. She just says this, I came across this image of golden white with figures included, and I wanted to use this concept coming out of isolation. There are many biblical heroes who, who experienced aspects of isolation. Adam, before Eve was created, Jesus in the wilderness, Paul in prison, the leper who was isolated because of his disease. And the figures I choose to include represent emotions, actions, and people that I know. Of all the scriptures that can be mentioned, I have chosen this one. I am convinced that my God will fully satisfy every need you have, for I have seen the abundant riches of glory revealed to me through Jesus Christ. And our God, our Father, will receive all the glory and the honor throughout eternity of eternities. Amen. And it's difficult to see, but um, when she dropped this off, she and I talked about it, and she didn't know what I was actually going to be speaking on today. And, and she she just started describing that. I was like, this is so incredible. This is so perfect. And each person in this painting has, an, has a, a personality and a characteristic and how they're responding to the glory that's behind them. And, and so it's this, this glory and this movement. What do I do with isolation? And how does it impact and how does it rule my life? So what does isolation look like? How does it impact us? For me, it was actually a, a really strong grip in my life for the majority of my life. And it's really funny. I'm, I'm actually very extroverted. I, I, can, I love meeting people. I love 
making new friends. I love being the center of attention or in a crowd or wherever I might be. I don't, I'm not the guy in the corner. I like being in, up front and I love that. But if you know my story, and there's so many new faces, so I'll give little snippets. But if you know my story, there's parts of my story that kept me hidden for the majority of my life. There was a, I struggled with an addiction to pornography for the majority of my life. And though there was accountability and people knew most of it and bits and pieces of that, there was still probably 20 to 30% that nobody knew. And that 20 to 30% kept me hidden, kept me in isolation. I could be in the middle of a crowd and yet be completely isolated. And isolation impacts each one of us a little bit differently. It, it looks a little bit differently, a little bit different for every person. But for me, it was like you would have never known because I was really able to disguise it really well. I mean, some people just disappear altogether. And you know, oh, goodness, that person's isolating. But you would have never known it in my life because I was in the midst of everybody and I had such a happy face on. And you would have never known the pain that I was carrying. And that's a really key word right there, is pain is one of the strongest contributors to isolation. But what about solitude? What's the difference between isolation and solitude? Because sometimes I think we may, we mix these up a little bit, and, and the, the definition that comes straight from a dictionary is just this. Isolation is without relation to other people or things. Pretty simple. Um, without relation to people or things. What about solitude? The state or situation of being alone. Now, they sound pretty similar to me. Uh, I often confuse the two, and I didn't recognize the difference. Solitude is you're, you're alone. Isolation, you're alone. And then in my own life, as I continue to work through this and I experienced these and I began to redefine what they meant, I, I came... For me personally, I realize that isolation, it blocks or it prohibits developing relationships with other people. It doesn't allow relationship. When I'm isolating, I'm not allowing people into my innermost place. And I'm not getting to know people in their innermost place. I'm hiding. Uh, I'm avoiding whatever it is, and even if it's this much, it can still be isolation. For most people, isolation is just completely hiding and disappearing. Um, whereas solitude, solitude is an aspect where we maintain the relationships around us, but we separate ourselves for a, for a time for quiet. You know, Jesus went to a solitary place to pray. He didn't he didn't say, I'm not having relationship with my disciples and then go pray. He just said, hey, I, I need a little bit of time. I need a time out. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, it, it's this, this place where I still have my relationships, but I'm going to take a bit of time for myself just to recenter, just to refocus, just to find myself, whatever word you want to use, um, in there. And then, I'm, and then I'm coming back. Whereas if I'm isolating, I'm like, whatever it is that's going on within me, I don't want anybody to know about. And I don't want those circumstances to reveal themselves because ultimately they're, they're too painful and I don't want you to experience or know that I'm hiding behind my shame. For me, 
most of my life, I had just that little piece. In... (laughs) I always get emotional because I know the outcome. I haven't even started the story. (laughs) In 2011, we moved up to Zambia. Uh, My wife um, and Misha... Janelle and Misha and Titus wasn't yet born. No, he was born. Yeah, he was really small. Um, we moved up to Zambia to a new ministry uh, and, and joined this ministry and absolutely love the ministry, what they do and everything that they stand for. And, and there, there were a lot of circumstances in my life that, um, that really started to compound. You, when you try and hide an addiction for long enough, Uh, The Lord's really good at trying to reveal it so that you aren't held captive to that any longer. That's a freebie in case you were wondering. Um, That I was hiding my addiction and hiding it to such a degree that the Lord just kept bringing circumstances in my life to try and reveal it because he didn't want me to carry that anymore. Like in his goodness, he didn't want me to be bound by that addiction. And and it wasn't that he was trying to beat me over the head and, and, and... make me feel ashamed. He wanted it to be gone. But in these circumstances in ministry, we're out in the bush ministering and Holy Spirit doing really, really cool stuff. When you don't have doctors way in the deep bush in Zambia, the Holy Spirit comes through in a really big way. Uh, it's, it's, he's comes through in a big way here. I don't want to say that he doesn't, but there's just something about when you don't have resources, how powerful Holy Spirit is in our prayers. And that that stuff was going on, even in my life, and and just the sharing and the conversations, really, really great stuff. But there was this this percentage that I couldn't share with people, this this grip that uh, inappropriate sexuality had in my life that was absolutely destroying me in such a way that I, it, I just, it just kept sinking me deeper and deeper and I became more controlling, I became more manipulative, I became, I mean, I was a really nice guy and you would have never known it because I was so good at, contro- at controlling and manipulating without you knowing it. And with this big smile on my face and you're like, oh, there must be something wrong with me. It's not Dan. This, it was a mess. I was a mess. And, and it all came to this, this place where through circumstances, the, thus the prayer that we prayed, use whatever circumstances to draw me back to the intimate place of the Father's heart. He will answer that. If there's ever a prayer to pray for yourself, be prepared when you pray that. But it's, it's an incredible incredible, loving, and grace-filled prayer. Through a number of circumstances, some of the things, my actions that I was doing, they, they came into the light, and I'm so glad they did. I didn't like it then, because it just, I felt like I was so ashamed, and who in the world could love me? I'm, I'm such a fraud. You know, going out worshiping um, one day, and, and then making inappropriate decisions and, and then the next and, and all of this, all of this chaos. And so uh, in a moment of strong isolation, that I think I was, I was over the, the base where we were. It's, um, 
on Rapid 14 of the Zambezi River. And there's this, this beautiful, beautiful vista. Zimbabwe is just on the other side of the river. And the Rapid 14 is the name of the base. And then Rapid 15, Rapid 16, they name it by rapids just because of uh, those people that go in boats, the rafting, um, that go down the rivers and stuff like that. And I'm, and I'm overlooking Rapid 16. Um, we were building a house there, actually, on the, on the base, and I had built this wall that overlooked this incredible spot uh, on, above Rapid 16. And, and the, the river's probably... I'm converting standard to metric. Three, two to 300 meters below. Um, the, the landscape were up about 300 meters above the river in Zimbabwe and, and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there, and this was my thought. If I lean forward, no one will ever have to know how bad it really is. I wasn't there for the view. I wasn't there to take in the beauty I was there because I just didn't know how to go on, how to move forward with people all of a sudden knowing that I had a struggle that I tried to keep secret for, the, for most of my life. And I thought, all I have to do is lean forward. And in that moment, Jesus came to me in my mind and he said, hey, Dan, he was, he was really kind. He's just like, hey, Dan, since you've thrown everything away, can, can I ask you a question? I was like, and I put the pieces together. Oh, yeah, if you're going to kill yourself, then obviously you've thrown everything away. He's like, would you rather take all of that your entire life and instead of throwing it away, can you lay it? Can you lay it at my feet and surrender it to me? And I, I thought, yeah, I can do that. I think he was just stalling. He was keeping me on the wall. I said, yeah, no, I can do that. And he said, I want you to look at those things that you've laid down because you've lived such a good life and you've lived and you, you've known me since you were this tall and you know who you are in Christ and, and your parents are incredible people and I love my parents and they have no fault in any of my decisions that I made. They actually created a foundation for me that I think helped me overcome that day of love and grace that they modeled in my life. And Jesus, he just said, listen, surrender those at my feet because one of the things that I want to share with you is, is who you are. And I was like, but I know who I am. I'm solid in that. I've got the theology. I know all of these things. I went to Bible uh, Bible college. I've got a, the, a degree in theology, and I've got all of this stuff. I can, I can quote you the verses. And, and he was again so kind. He's like, "No, I know. Good job." He's like, "But do you know whose you are?" 
And in that moment, everything changed. Just by him asking a simple question, Dan, do you know whose you are? Because then I was forced to think, who do I belong to? Do I belong to myself? Do, do I belong to my Father in heaven? Do I belong to the enemy? Because the actions and the way I live my life will, will align with one of those things. And he, and he just said this phrase. In Isaiah 43, chapter 1, such a, this is such a great passage. Isaiah 43 the long verse is this, and I didn't actually know what the long verse was. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. But that day, sitting there, the only phrase he said to me was this, Dan, you are mine. See, I didn't know who I belonged to. I didn't understand the depth of relationship that he wanted to have with me. And and in all of my chaos of my life and hiding and the isolation that I put myself in, I belonged, I was owned by sin, by the words that people used in my past to hurt me, by experiences, uh, life circumstances that happened that embarrassed me and that I thought nobody can ever know about. And I was owned by all of these things. And, and yet Jesus in such soft graciousness, he said, those don't own you. Dan, you are mine. So I started this journey and I went on this quest to understand what, how do we break free from isolation? What is it about isolation that keeps us bound? Number one, isolation is, it's all around us. The, the enemy, it's, it's one of Satan's most effective tools against us because it keeps us separated from relationship with other people. Now, this is, this is when I realized this, I was just so astounded at the goodness of God. If we go all the way back to the beginning, right to the very beginning, a very good place to start. Genesis 3.1, uh, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. But in Genesis 3, it's, it's like the expanded version of Adam and Eve. Genesis 1, creation. Genesis 2, uh, um, a little bit more details in the creation. And Genesis 3 is the expanded version of, of the creation story, specifically about Adam and Eve. And in that story, is it's they've titled it the fall because this is where Adam and Eve, they sin and they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and therefore separate themselves from God. But one of the things that I used to believe as a, as a young believer is that 
that whole story was designed and set up to show us how powerful God is, that he is God, that he rules over everything. And if we mess up, we're going to get kicked out of the garden. That's what I believed. That was, that was my understanding of the creation account. And as I read it over and over and over again, I began to pick up on some subtle things that take place in that story. And when we go through the story, one of my favorite verses is in, in chapter 3 and verse 11. But I'm going to start with verse 8. Um, because, well, we'll go through it. It's, you know, the serpent deceives the, Adam and Eve let's say Eve and then Adam, but they were both there. It falls on Adam's head. We won't get into the theology. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So he causes some doubt. He's like, nah, you're not really going to die and stuff like that. And so they eat it and instantly, instantly they know something's different. Why? They realize that they're naked and they're ashamed. Uh, Here's a side note. In, in Genesis 2, verse 25, there's this random verse right between, in the middle of all of this creation account. And it says this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Like, it actually doesn't fit into anything in those chapters. It's just at the end of the creation account, all of a sudden it says, hey, Adam and Eve were naked and they weren't ashamed. And you're like, okay, that's weird. That's random. And then we get the whole eating of the tree and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, they, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And something shifts. Something changes. And they realize what? They realize that they're naked. And if they realize that they're naked, and then they try and hide their nakedness, they sewed fig leaves together, and they tried to hide their nakedness, then all of a sudden what God designed and, and however he created it for Adam and Eve and for humanity, now they're trying to hide because they're ashamed of what they feel about their vulnerability, exposure, nakedness, Isn't it fascinating that one of the most destructive traumas worldwide is inappropriate sexuality? How something that might last only 30 seconds can change the trajectory of a person's life for the rest of their life until that's redeemed. That is sad. It's tragic that the enemy has taken so much power and we see it right here. The very first shame that Adam and Eve experienced was, was nakedness. And, and, but that's a side note. In verse 8 it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, because that's what they did. God came into the garden to have relationship with Adam and Eve. That's why he created humanity, because God desired relationship with a created being. That's the whole purpose for creating us, is that desire for relationship. And he says, and it says, but the Lord called out to, oh, sorry, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But God called out to man, where are you? Like God didn't know. I mean, if he's all-knowing, 
and he's all present. It's like he didn't know. He's like, he's walking into the garden. He's like, you know, two apple trees back, three fig trees left behind the sycamore tree. You're going to find Adam and Eve. He knew because he's all knowing and he's everywhere. And yet he comes into the garden to be with them. And he asks this question, where are you? Not, hey, where are you? It's like, hey, Adam and Eve, where are you? We do this every day, and normally we meet. And he's, and he's there's this, like, in, inquiring, this curiosity. Hey, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And then this next question that God asks is just as powerful. He says, well, who told you you were naked? Because if it wasn't me, then where did that lie come from? That's really interesting. But when I read this, and as I read it over and over again, I began to see God in a different light. See, God knew where they were. God knew that he was separated from his creation because they had sinned. He knew all of these things, and yet the first action that he had towards Adam and Eve was not to kick them out of the garden. That was a consequence that came later on. His first response to broken humanity was to go and be with them. Just let that settle in for just a minute. God, the creator of the universe the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-present God, the, the first sin that takes place, that severed, that separated Adam and Eve from God, his first response was to go find them, to go be with them. And even though he knew where they were, he still asked the question and he said, hey, where are you? Maybe he's asking it metaphorically. Not just where are you physically. Where are you here? And Adam, he was honest. He's like, yes, I hid because I was afraid because I was naked. Now, did Adam have anything to fear? No, he never, he, he didn't know fear. Did he need to hide from God? He'd never hidden from him before. So somewhere along the lines in those moments, somebody planted some thoughts in Adam's mind that said, you better hide, you better cover yourself, and you better be quiet, you better isolate, because you messed up. And God is coming. And God asked the question, who said that? I'm here. I'm coming to be with you. I'm coming to meet with you. I'm coming to commune with you. So it wasn't me who said that. That's also a teaching for another day, but we carry lies and we carry belief systems, oftentimes from when we're younger, for most of our lives, and if we stop to think about where they came from, we might just recognize that, Dan, you're an embarrassment, did not come from God. 
It came from somewhere else. And when I lived my life of isolation, Satan took those times to exploit that lie and turn it into a belief system that I carried with me so that, why? So that I would separate myself from God. If God created us for relationship, then it makes sense to me that at the heart of the enemy of Satan, that what he wants to do is destroy our relationship with God and with others. Why? Because that's the reflection of God's goodness. He loves us so much that he created us, and not only that, he had a plan in case we messed up. Like, think about that. In case Adam and Eve actually didn't get it right, God already made a way for there to be restoration in in that relationship. And that relationship is obviously through Jesus Christ. He sent Jesus on the earth in order to restore that relationship. In in John, we all know John 3.16, such a great verse, right? We can, most of us can quote John 3.16. 17 through 21 is really powerful as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I mean, you go to any sporting event. Oh, not anymore these days. But the guys with the placards, John 3.16, it's always there. And it's true. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus so that we would wouldn't die, but that we'd be restored in in eternality to relationship with him forever. Brilliant. John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. When I read that, it actually, it actually hit me differently that if, if I'm living a life under condemnation and I'm hiding because of my shame, and listen, self-condemnation is one of the most powerful weapons the enemy uses against us is when I condemn myself and hide myself, that I didn't actually understand this full passage, the fact that God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Now, if God is not condemning the world, why am I condemning myself? Why am I allowing others to condemn me? And why am I condemning others? It doesn't work that way. If the God of the universe who went into the garden to meet Adam and then revealed his nature again by sending his son not to condemn but to save, then how important is relationship to the Father? I think it's at his very core, the relationships that we carry. And and these relationships that we have on earth are a reflection. But you say, what about these painful relationships that I've had? What about people that have, you know, smashed me and traumatized me and things like that? Yeah, That's not God's design. That's not God's heart. And in every sozo, spirit encounter, whatever you want to call it, that I've walked through personally or walked through with other people, I've never met a Jesus that was condemning a person in their their moment of trauma, ever. I've always met a Jesus the Spirit, the Father who is loving 
and gracious and reaching into that person's life to pull those lies out so that they no longer have to hide in shame and isolate them from relationships. That's the whole power. That's the whole promise. That's, that's his desire for our lives. It's to come to an understanding that, that maybe he's not the God that I thought he was when I was younger. Maybe he's a God of, of goodness, of of forgiveness, of grace. Maybe he's a God of non-condemnation and I can walk out from underneath that. See, when I read John 10.10, John 10.10, it's got, there's two parts to that, that passage. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus is speaking, have come that they may have life and have life to the full. I always used to believe that, Jesus, that, that Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy like in the physical realm. And he does. He, he wants to s- steal our stuff and kill us and destroy us and stuff like that. But I thought if, if God's desire is to have relationship and Satan's desire is to destroy that relationship, what does it sound like now when I read this verse and says, when it comes to your relationships with anybody, the thief comes uh, to steal, kill, and destroy your relationships. I added those words, but I believe that there's some strong emphasis in that because if he can break down the relationships here, then maybe, just maybe, Satan believes he's wounded the Father's heart. Now, of course, we know when relationships are broken, it does hurt the Father's heart. It doesn't change his nature. And it doesn't change the power that Satan has over the Father by destroying relationship. But it certainly creates something different. And that's, that's, that's the nature of the brokenness of the fall. But Jesus, I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. So how do we move forward in this? What is an application and for me, I look at the world that we live in, and we're living in some really interesting times. The, the times that we're focused on now, if, if you, let's back up to before the printing press was made. What did people do? They sat around and stared at each other all day. I, I don't know. I wasn't around. But, what, you know, they worked the land and, and stuff like that, and, and there, was, there was nothing to do. You listened to people. You listened to the learned give their expressions of philosophy and theology and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you get the printing press that comes around and now people are publishing in newspapers their thoughts and their philosophies and their beliefs and they're like, and people are like, wait, 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 no, the printing press is evil. It's taking away my power. I can't, I can't influence people anymore. And then all of a sudden the printing press started printing books and it was great. The, the theologians started printing their books and stuff like that. And other people started printing their books. And it was fine until Harlequin Romance started printing their books. And then all of a sudden, we've got this, we've got this thing that's happening where people are, are beginning to learn from here, from, oh, sorry, from here instead of from here. And they're starting to learn from from something that's on a piece of paper and they're building a relationship with something that's on paper instead of Brum. Hey, what do you think about that? Oh, no, no, never mind. 
let me go talk to Fabio. You know, it's, it, and it's, these things aren't inherently bad, but, but look at this trend that's happened. All of a sudden you have a TV that comes into play. You, those things are, I mean, my parents, they're like, those things are from the, the devil. You know, they didn't say that. That's what they heard. Like, it's, it's cursed, this thing. It's feeding all these ideologies and, and stuff like that. Let's move forward a little bit further. You got, um, after television, well, what, did, what was one of the things television did is it began to isolate the family unit. Not interesting. That instead of sitting around the dinner table and having a meal and talking, instead of uh, playing a board game or cards, cards were evil too, right? <laughs> With one another, they, and talking, they were now sitting around in front of a television and not talking, isolating in the midst of community. Isn't that interesting? So then you throw in the, the, the World Wide Web, right? That, you know, the people who came up with whatever, www, if you do enough mathematical equations, it's actually 666, and it's the mark of the beast. And now, this is why we need to come and, and attend the Revelation course so that we can understand some of the silly things that have come up out of certain theologies about Revelation. That's a plug for you, John. So... The, you got this www, mark of the beast, and, and internet, and, and what does it do? Well, it's used for good, and it has lots of information, but it also begins to isolate us a little bit more. Now we're spending more time in front of the television and on the screens, and now you have smartphones, and then welcome social media, which I actually prefer to call iso-social media. There's absolutely nothing social about social media. It's ISO social media. Now, I do have social media accounts. I'm not coming down on anybody for having Instagram and Facebook and whatever. I have them. I use them. I utilize them. But I don't let them control me, and I don't let them dictate my relationships. Why? Because that's not how it works. Social media, you only post certain things. We understand all of that. If you want to learn a lot about social media and the Internet, Brad Huddleston and his um, his series on digital cocaine. Look at uh, The Social Dilemma on Netflix. 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 I mean, there's great things just to help bring awareness into, like, what are these things doing to our society? And they're doing some pretty in in intense things. Uh, and one of the main things social media did was it began to isolate us from one another. Kayleen, I will only let you know a certain part about me. You're, you're not going to get the bad stuff. And if, if, if I do post the bad stuff, I'm actually looking for something from you. Warren, please just call me. My life's in chaos. It's broken. Oh, I hate the world. Oh, Dan, what's happening? Right? Like, it's not real. There's reality on there, but it's not a, a, a truly accurate representation. Okay, sorry. I'm... I can, I, I'm stepping off my soapbox. It began to isolate us. And then, of course, with, with the internet, uh, pornography is one of the number one isolators. It, did you know in lockdown? Oh, wait, let's go to lockdown. So what did, what did the government tell us during lockdown? Isolate. Don't 
speak to anyone. Don't go outside. Don't even have a meal with your family members. You might kill them. <laughs> it's true. But I might be driving my family to McDonald's and get in a car accident and kill them. But here's this crazy thing. It's, the enemy is so subtle in how he's used a lot of technology advances. And I love them. I really do. I utilize them. Um, how he's put these subtle things in. What, when, what is this thing on the floor of every store that you go to? What is that little phrase that they put on the strip? Social distance. Please maintain social distance. What does that even mean? Doesn't it make more sense if they said, please keep a safe physical distance? Not a social distance. I mean, Brom, you and I are standing far apart. We can still be social and safe. Look how subtle the enemy is to isolate us from one another. To actually use a phrase worldwide. And this is like all of this, these things, they're not inherently evil. But we need to be aware that the enemy's end game is to break and destroy relationships. And one of his most effective tools is isolation because at the end of isolation is, is more pain. See, if we, if we isolate ourselves, we're actually experiencing more pain because we're not experiencing relationship the way God designed it. And if I'm experiencing more pain, then I'm gonna go to whatever it is that I go to to help remove that pain, whether it's an addiction, uh, pornography, more isolation. It's interesting that in Japan, speaking of ministers, Japan just pointed a minister of, of mental health. Uh, I'll have to look it up. I should have looked it up. But they just appointed a new minister to government. They're, the sole mandate of this minister is to minister of loneliness. What a phrase. And the sole mandate of this minister's position is to try and rejoin people with one another in relationship because of the destruction that's taking place because of COVID. It just, it was at the beginning of this year, or at the end of last year, the minister of loneliness. Why? Because in Japan, there are the, the suicide rates in Japan spiked between 30 and 70%, depending on what demographic you found yourself in. Worldwide, there's been an increase of a minimum 5 to 20% in suicide. Pornography rose 1,400% a few months after the uh, after COVID lockdowns around the world, 1,400%. And that has maintained throughout. It hasn't dipped back down. These, these are two of the most powerful isolation techniques I know of. I mean, the, just sitting behind a computer screen by yourself or sitting all by yourself. And isn't it, it, it just, what led me to the wall what got me to that place of sitting on the wall was not relationship, it was isolation. The opposite 
of, of addiction or loneliness is not like, you know, sobriety. Oftentimes they say, you know, the opposite of addiction is, is sobriety or, or quitting and, and these things. But what we're discovering, we, as in like the smart people in the world, is that the opposite of addiction is actually connection. The opposite of isolation is actually connection. Not just going into a party so that you're socially with people, but the opposite of isolation is actually connection. And the primary source of connection that I needed was a connection with my father who loved me, not my earthly father, my heavenly father who loved me. I was still connected to my parents. Like I said, they're amazing people. But it was this, the opposite of the isolation that I was experiencing was connection to people. And guess what that meant? That meant that I needed to come out of hiding. I needed to allow myself to be exposed, to be vulnerable, to be found. Amazing how parallel that is to Adam and Eve in the garden and the heart of the Father who went to find them, who went to know them, who went to be with them. So for any of us that are struggling with whether it's government-imposed isolation or our own self-imposed isolation, that there is a way out of that circle. James 5.16 says this. I put it at the top because it's so important. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. In my life, I found that practically speaking, if I were to apply anything in getting myself out of isolation, it is this verse. Because the first two parts, the A, B, and C of that verse, part A is confess your sins to one another. Hey, Brom, I don't know what's gonna happen and I don't know how this is gonna work and I'm really scared. But I need you to know, nobody knows this. This is what I'm dealing with. Will you help me? And if Brahm knows John 3, 16 through 21, then his response would be, you know what? I am not here to condemn you, Dan. I'm here to walk through this trial with you so that you can be saved out from it. Wow, novel concept. I've experienced a lot of pain in my life and sometimes it was met with condemnation. Sometimes it was met with grace. Guess which one I leaned towards? Grace. And grace pulled me out of the pit of isolation. Part B, pray for one another. Pierre, we've talked about this one a lot, you and I. 
What does it mean to pray for one another? It's to communicate with one another. It's to develop a deep friendship with one another. So your confession is the hard stuff. And then your prayer is, what is prayer? Prayer is communication. Pray for one another. Hey, let's walk this journey together. Let's disciple one another. Let's pray, discuss, figure it out. Pierre's a really good friend. And, we've, and he's helped in plenty of areas in my life, which I really appreciate because I was able to take that to the next step and apply, I need to confess, I need to pray and communicate why. Part C is not of human origin. A and B, we do here. C, Brom, can you heal me? Pierre, can you heal me? Doesn't work like that. Part C is do these two things, why? So that you may be healed. Who wants to be healed in this room? I want to be healed. I want to walk a healed life. And And James, it's so simple. He just says, if you do these two things, do them so that you may be healed. And the great healer is Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross to abolish, to take care of, to redeem, to destroy, whatever it is, all sin, in order to bring this forgiveness And the whole point of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, was to restore relationship with the Father the way Adam and Eve had it in the garden before they fell. That's that's the purpose of Jesus Christ. Eternal life, great icing on the cake. Love it. Forgiveness of sins, absolutely. Understanding of grace and love and the example of that, 100%, restoring me to the Father who loves me and desires relationship with me, I'm all in. I'm sad it took me 40-something years to figure that out sitting on a wall in Zambia, but I'm glad it happened. And so for us, may we allow life circumstances to impact us in such a way that they open our eyes and help draw us back to the intimate place of the Father's heart where he's pursuing you, loving you, desiring to be with you, and he's not worried about those things, those sins, and that shame that's pushing you towards isolation. He's saying, come out Oh, this is a great place to start preaching about Lazarus, so I won't. What a beautiful story that is. To draw us out of darkness. That's the, that's the end of, of, of John 3.16. Again, oh, I'm ready to go on another. That I, I hope they invite me back so we can finish some of these. But the, 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 the difference between light and darkness. My prayer is that none of us here would walk in darkness. Where's Caitlin? I think let's do another song. Let's let's finish. Let's round this. Let's round this day out with a with another worship song. But my prayer is that is that we wouldn't live our lives trapped in darkness, but we would allow Father to find us behind those three apple trees, two fig trees, one sycamore tree. That, he, that we'd allow him to find us and draw us out of our darkness, out of our place of hiding, so that 
we can be in the light, the light of his love and grace that he offers to us freely. Would you stand with me as we pray? So Father, we're grateful for your goodness. We're thankful for your love. We're thankful for your grace, your compassion, your joy, your gentleness, your faithfulness, your goodness, your kindness, the attributes that you carry. Father, I just thank you for those right now because I know that those attributes of goodness, those kingdom attributes are far more powerful than any attribute that the enemy may try and throw at me. Any lie, any trauma, any brokenness that those no longer have a hold on me. Just, if you want to break brokenness off your life and I'm holding my hands out first, just put your hands out before you and just say, Father, I choose to release this brokenness. I choose to lay my brokenness down at your feet. I don't want to lean forward and allow my brokenness to kill me. And so before that happens, I'm choosing to take this pain. I'm choosing to take this brokenness. I'm choosing to take it and I'm choosing to lay it down at your feet. And Father, would you take those things? Would you pick them up? Would you redeem them? Would you shape them? Would you reshape them and put them back into my life in a redeemed, in a beautiful, in a loving, in a grace-filled way? Because that is your character and that is your love. And so I offer my life to you and sacrifice my isolation before you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking that isolation and turning it into relationship. Relationship with you relationship, kingdom relationship with one another.